0: Director of Children's Fairyland, located in Oakland, California, and I'm here today on behalf of the American Camp Association, happily in conversation with other Black women in leadership roles, um, leading camps and youth development. I'm really excited to uh, throw out some questions and have a a great, inspiring conversation about what it means to lead in this space and be a woman of color. Let's see, the purpose of our conversation today will really be, uh, you know, uh, tackling a couple of things. I think that the group of us really hope to um, inspire other um, black leaders to um, inspire other young people to these roles. Um, we're really looking at succession planning in this space. Um, and also to talk to our white allies a little bit about what that should look like to them. And so we'll be ranging around in those questions um, and hopefully, um, sharing good stuff with everybody so first i want to introduce my friends so tiffany mcduffie is founder and owner of purposeful play in milwaukee wisconsin kelly carlisle is founder and executive director of Active Nonverba in oakland california Yay. and Srinavasa brown co-founder and executive director for camp also in portland oregon so I'm gonna turn it over to them to do some introductions and tell us a little bit about what brought them to the work of CAMP and youth development and a little bit about their programs. And Tiffany, I think I'll start with you. Okay,
1: good Good afternoon, guys. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I am Tiffany McDuffie, the uh, founder of Purposeful Play. We are a trauma-informed, sports-based youth development organization in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's uh, It's a bit of a bunch of words, but they all have deep meaning for us. Um, what brought me to the work, I always say that I am an accidental camp director. I didn't grow up in camp. I went to day camp maybe once for a couple of weeks. I went to one overnight camp. My mom freaked out the entire time and you know never went back. Um, I'm an accountant, so I'm a CPA by trade. Um, I spent tons of time in public accounting, and then I just always had this entrepreneurial bug that was that was biting away, and so I spent some time in in real estate and insurance. And I just was um, a little bit void. Like I didn't feel like my income and my impact were merged. And I always had a love for children. I decided to do a short stint of substitute teaching at Milwaukee Public Schools. And there was just this lack of joy, lack of hope, lack of smiles among the children that I was serving. And I, you know, I grew up the total opposite way. I said my mom um, was born with a social emotional educator, you know, like inside of her. And so um, as I look to to, um, overcome some of the challenges within traditional education, I was really drawn to the camp space and through sport being able to to teach the things that aren't taught in school but are required to so like problem solving conflict resolution believing in yourself knowing you know just to get back to play and it was amazing to to see so many kids who just were not you know they're addicted to tablets and technology and chronically sad and so um, purposeful play was founded and you know we've been going strong for 7 years and you know, if you'd have told me 20 years ago I was going to be a camp director, I'd have told you you were a liar. So uh, <laughs> accidental camp director, but very, very happy and comfortable in this space and grateful that I can now say I've been able to merge my income with my impact. And, and it, uh, you know, you never know how far your impact
0: goes when you are a camp director. So that's my story. That is well said. Tell, can you just, can I just, before we move on, can I just ask a little question about scale? So how big is Purposeful Play? How many kids do you serve? Um, so pre-COVID,
1: we we served about yes. 200 kids per summer in summer camp, but we actually operate as a um, year-round program. So days after school and days out of school, we serve as kind of the healthy and active alternative to daycare for school-age kids. Um, we started as just summer camp, and literally when it ended, and when it was supposed to end the first year, the kids were like, wait, what? you know, like now what do the parents get to do when they still have to work, but the kids are out of school. And so we made the program year round. Um, mm-hmm. We also do like what we call pop-up play days in the schools um, where we go and use it kind of as part of the, their behavior management incentive systems. And so we kind of like bring a day of camp to the schools. And so through that program, we probably touch about 5,000 kids a year, but just in our own home base, you know, like every, you know, uh, summer camps. We serve about 200 a year. Mm-hmm. Now, post COVID, you know, we're at a max of 50. We did still run camp this year. So that was the blessing, but definitely just, you know, scary territory to be chartering. And so I'd say our daily average attendance was anywhere between 20 and 40 kids. So very different, but able to like keep everyone safe and just to create some more intimate opportunities there. And, and we're still thriving. So grateful for that because I know many, you know, didn't, didn't make the summer. So
0: yeah, for sure. A lot didn't make the summer and we at Fairland also ran camp COVID camp as I like to call it. Boy, was that tough. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Lots,
0: (laughs) lots of things. You turn the whole camp process upside down. Um, to try to figure out how to have a safe camp and keep parents safe and keep kids safe, so I appreciate what you're saying there. Um, I think that, next. that shows the okay. resilience of camp,
1: though. You know what I mean? The fact, just like teachers, I mean, teachers definitely worked miracles overnight. And I think that the camp world, you know, if whether it was virtual or online or camp in a box, or you know, if you actually ran COVID camp, it showed how you know our work is meaningful enough to make us, you know, keep it going.
0: Yes, and parents were grateful, I think. And parents. Were grateful. <laughs> Kelly, why don't we, uh, Kelly Carlisle? why don't we go to you and have you introduce yourself, tell us what brought you to the work and a little bit about your work.
3: Sure, so i um, founder and executive director of Acton Verba Youth Urban Farm Project. Um, we have three farms in the city of Oakland that are run by youth age five to 15. The kids plan, plant, harvest, and sell the produce that we grow. 100% of those dollars are placed in individual savings accounts for them uh, that can only be used for educational purposes. So I founded the organization 10 years ago um, because of like three major news stories. One was Oakland being listed as the fifth most dangerous city in the U.S., uh, the second one was teen prostitution being on the rise. And the one that hurt my my heart the most was an almost 40% dropout rate in the city of Oakland. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. as I started doing research, I was like, you know, well, all of these things are connected. And so um, I was, you know, I, I was looking for a way to blend my love of farming and nurturing and watching things grow with a way for kids to um, invest in their futures and to really see a future for themselves, um, not just in higher education, but you know, a, a, in in a variety of different um, um, industries and and um, places to go and and things to, to try out. Um, and so, in 2012, I founded the Camp Camp A and V. Um, mostly because it was like where my farm is during the summer, there would just be these huge groups of kids just like moving, you know, (laughs) moving through, um, the neighborhood. Like, you know, sometimes they're on, sometimes they would play basketball, but sometimes they were on like ATVs and would be tearing up like lawns and whatnot. So I was like, you know, we have to figure out a way to, um, engage these children in, in a, really positive way and um you know but trying to get kids to farm for you know three hours a day was insane so so I actually brought my sister in uh, my youngest sister Kana uh to the organization to show me how to work with children <laughs> and so she was the one that built out this um five day a week, you know, 7.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. I already said that part. Monday through Friday. Hey, uh, camp uh, for eight weeks with cooking classes, art classes, dance classes. Um, Sometimes we have Spanish classes. Sometimes we have uh, writing classes. Um, We go swimming, again, pre-COVID, camping, hiking, boating, you know, like we do all these different things um, to really expose our youth to something more than um than what they see on TV you know when we mm-hmm. first started we asked kids what they wanted to be when they grew up and it was like you know i want to be a cop i want to be a dancer i want to be a singer i want to be a ball player you know and while all of that is great we wanted to show that there are you know scientists and doctors and lawyers and um you know, naturalists and art, uh, artists that look like them that are able to make a living doing that and be able to have, uh, mobility, um, around, around the city, but also, you know, internationally, nationally and internationally. So our goals shifted from teaching kids how to farm and where food comes from to encompass so much more.
0: Right, right. Camp Beth- foundation for more. Exactly. <laughs> right, which camp is famous for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Great. Right. All right, well let's hear from Sprinabasa about how Camp Elso got started and what brought you to that work and hear about those programs.
2: Yes, hello everybody. Um, I'm so excited to join you all here. Um, My name is Sprinavasa Brown and uh, as you mentioned I'm the co-founder and executive director of Camp ELSO and ELSO stands for Experience Life Science Outdoors and we are a science uh, education focused nonprofit. Um, Our approach is to um, bring multiculturalism to STEAM education and it's rooted um, in environmental justice and cultural history and so Our mission is to teach and frame STEAM and nature-based education through a lens that centers and elevates the stories, ways of knowing, individual needs, and lived experiences of Black and Brown communities. so we've been around for five years and we recently just got confirmation actually last week that um, of our um, irs determination letter so we're official (laughs) which has been a very exciting milestone we've been working towards this whole time um so just a little bit about us we have a number of different programs our core program and the one that is how we got started is our camp program which is called wayfinders and it is an affinity space so all of the youth who participate identify as black indigenous brown or person of color Um, and they come from across the Portland metro area. It's a day camp format, and the youth who are in the camps are in K through eighth grade, and then we recruit, hire, and train um, young adults who are also uh, black and brown identified um, to be camp guides with our program, and they're from high school all the way up to young professional, emerging professionals. Um, We also have some community responsive programs that happens through the year. Freedom Grown is our current program um, that's happening at our Children's Learning and Heritage Garden. And it's about connecting Uh, youth to food, to food as medicine, helping them understand from planting the seeds to your food on your table, how you can heal your body, understanding our ancestral and cultural connection to land through food, um, and just practicing affirmation and culture building. So that's what our kids are out there doing today, is learning how to grow their own food, making tinctures, making salves, um, understanding medicine, and understanding the power that comes from um, knowing where your food comes from. Um, We also have Your Street, Your Voice, which is a design, uh, architectural design program with an environmental justice lens that is about helping high school students ask the question what would you change in your community um, if you could uh, make those changes what would you change in your community and why and then taking them through an understanding of how communities form how businesses get developed how it's designed and how um, a social justice lens can be applied to, that to make sure that all communities have the capability to thrive um, and it, Part of our response to COVID has been to shift how we do camps. Um, So this year, we were able to have uh, some camps. We had three hybrid camps happening, community science, photojournalism and boat building and sailing. So the boat building and sailing is happening right, right. now. The kids are building boats and, and uh, sailing in the afternoons. Um, we had planned to serve about 150 kids. We ended up having 26 kids in camps and we adapted to, build take-home science kits to get as much science equipment and um, hands-on things that kids could do at home in their apartment with a sibling with a parent Um, so we sent home 560 kits to schools and families across the city in the last uh, month so it's been It's been an amazing learning journey to adapt to COVID and to support families in the midst of all this, but it's also helped us realize our power and our place in what the future holds in terms of our organization and how we can continue to shape and transform science education.
0: Great, thank you for that. Um, It's just interesting to hear each of you speak about your your organizations and what you do. from sports to farming and food to environmental justice, what I really see here is um, camp from, you know, not a non-traditional approach from um, folks of color, right? Really, um, I hear you all speaking about meeting children where they are, right? And, and really figuring out how from there to create that experience. Um, and, and offer them something new, something different um, while doing that. Um, so I appreciate hearing about that. Um, I wanted to launch into um, in our conversation before this, we sort of talked about the fact that as leaders of color, Black women in particular, um, we face, I think, some unique challenges being leaders of camps um, whether they're for kids of color or not, but we face pretty significant challenges and, and unique to us. And I, I'd like to just dive into that pool and talk a little bit about um, and have a little story time, even just about what, what that is for us, what that looks like. Um, you know, some of the things that I have been facing as a new leader at Children's Fairyland um, have been real. <laughs> um, I've been there seven months uh, or no, I've been there one year, but seven months in, the pandemic hit, and so um, very uh, challenging moment. Um, the organization is 70 years old, built for and by white people, um, but really serves a wide array of children, and um, really thinking about um, the expectations that are being put on me as a Black leader, and or that I put on myself, um, to change the tone of that organization a little bit while keeping its its you know its current magic, right? Um, so those are some of the unique things that I'm thinking about as a leader in this space. And I'm, I'm curious, and anyone can start, I'm just curious about what, what it is for you guys. For me, this is Tiffany, one of the
1: things is just like being the only one in the room. And it's similar to experiences that I've had in corporate America or even um, in grammar school when I moved to a new state. But there is um, sort of that, uh, I guess, like sitting in awe. Oh, you own the camp. Oh, you founded the camp. Oh, like, how did you do that? Or, and especially if I'm in a room of other people who are just executive directors of pre existing organizations like the YMCA or, um, you know, like other. Um,
0: Big, big that, that are not,
1: yeah. you know, that are not like entrepreneurial based. And so it's kind right. of an like inquisitive part, which doesn't make me uneasy. I'm very happy to share my story, but it's almost like sitting in awe like, well, how are you able to do that? And then I also think that there is sometimes, even in a camp space, which I generally find very like giving and community based, like not necessarily like um, people... Being very helpful with how to obtain funding, or or people just being very um, interested in how you are funded, and not necessarily like this give and take of or exchange of information without you pressing back to ask for it. Whereas within um, their own silos, I see very much like a knowledge sharing and let's help one another, let's build one another up. Whereas I have to be bold enough to come in and ask, hey, will you guys show me? Usually that is met, you know, positively, but it's, it just is not like this communal feel that I see happening you know
0: outside of me. Right because we're outliers <laughs> right <laughs> you know like you own that place you, you you know you can make you have high level decision making yeah. you can you know <laughs> right you are a critical thinker right yeah. I mean those are the kinds of things I don't know about Sprint I hear you I see you nodding your head I mean wh- what are some of the things that
2: yeah I think um I have learned to get used to Um, the folks who assume, who make assumptions before they meet me or upon meeting me and want to give their advice, um, and the question that always comes to my mind is if you were standing in front of the CEO of YMCA, would you give them the same advice or are you just assuming because I'm a woman, black woman, or that we're newer that we don't know how to do things. And so, Mm -hmm. um, and I, I didn't really go into how we got started, but part of the reason Um, we exist and got started was to be an alternative to have to have to create a space for black and brown families um, or families with black and brown children to have an alternative space to send their kids to um, that's intentionally designed with their kids needs and and and, in how they learn what they need with their community at the forefront and so I feel like as a black leader I'm constantly coming up against Um, that feeling of being otherized, people trying to make me feel like an outsider and being surprised Mm -hmm. by my presence. And I'm Mm -hmm. also um, dealing with like the um, heaviness and the constantness of having to validate my own self and my own presence um, Mm -hmm. and educate folks who want to partner or co-opt or just don't understand how we've come to be.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is heavy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. that that is definitely true, Kelly. Yeah. What about you?
3: I mean everything these beautiful women have already said, plus you know where our camp is located and the communities that we serve, I think there's this feeling of um ghettoization if that's a word right like it Mm -hmm. must be ghetto right it must be ghetto because it's in this area it works with those kids you know and uh and it's run by a black woman you know on top of all of those things so when I go to these conferences and I'm you know one of the only ones as uh if not the only one as as Tiffany said you know like I I definitely feel like oh well that's adorable (laughs) Those kids need it so much more than anyone else. You're doing such, you are doing such great work. I think I might cry, you know, and I'm like, cry all you want, donate. You know what I mean? (laughs) If two equal dollars, please donate because it's hard and it's hard to, to be both um, a camp professional in these primarily white spaces Mm -hmm. and, and talk about our work in a way that honors the communities that we serve honors the the staff that we hire from within the community and then still have to go back to the community and say it's for you camp mm-hmm. is for you mm-hmm. this is this is not weird you know <laughs> like this is this is not trying to change who you are this is not this is not a you know back back in the day, we used to call it a Mickey Mouse operation, right It's not a Mickey Mouse operation, right? This is a real ACA certified camp day camp with all the things plus more for you, you know so it's like trying to not balance it but you know kind of being um, pushed about from both sides from the community as well as outside right. the community
0: mm-hmm. I totally- so you mean people people in the community sort of seeing A&V camp as kind of foreign, like, is yes. that what you're saying? Not really believing in the power of camp, not really exactly. understanding what you what is it you offer that would exactly. be beneficial, right? Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> to them. And, mm-hmm. and all of that, and this idea that we must be ghetto, right, like we're, we're serving um, lunchables instead of cooking our food, you know, like there's so many things that we have to fight right. against and, and even to convince children and families, like you want this, you know, (laughs) you want this, not the, not Lunchables, right. You want this fresh produce. You want to be Mm -hmm. outdoors. You Mm -hmm. want to go camping, right. That's, that's great. That's dope. You know, like, it's not the other way around. Like, why are you trying to take us out the hood? You know, it's not that it's, the other way, you deserve to have access to these spaces. You deserve the best that life has to offer all day. It's part of day. your
0: history. It's part of your legacy, right? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> right? To exactly. be able to do that, that is hard to convince them. Well, Tiffany, yeah. you were going to say something. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Oh, Go no, ahead. Okay,
1: I definitely agree that you also feel it from both sides, right? Like you feel it from the you know the the white people in the space who who traditionally like own it as their space and then you feel it from the black people who it is or black and brown people who are not accustomed to learning in that sort of setting where on this side, you're having to prove that your organization is good enough to sit with the established ones. And then on the black and brown people side, it's like an education or an exposure to let you know that this is a good thing, that I'm not trying to change who you are, that I'm not, you know, that I'm just trying to, um, you know, ever together everyone achieves more, sort of very cliche, sort of um experience into so one of the things that's very unique about our camp is that we don't go off grid like we are in the middle of the city we you know we have a program called my block my hood my city where where we take the kids to different things so that they can explore hidden treasures right in the middle of their city because most of the black and brown children in our community when they do have a camp experience is that A traditional camp has been willing to scholarship them and take them three hours away to, you know, an an off land with woods and lakes and And they're like skeptical and scared to go and then they get there and they experience it and they think that that can only exist in those spaces. So our challenge is to say, let's take what you already like, what you already do. You like sports and and they love, you know, like the traditional sports, basketball and football. But in this space, we also do yoga. In this space, we also do martial arts. In this space, we also do um, kickboxing or regular boxing or golf. You know what I mean? And so just like broadening their worldview and their lens through both the experiences that they get um in camp but also all of our field trips are very intentional so we have five-year-olds on college campuses local college campuses all the time just again making sure that their play is purposeful so while we're there we'll visit all of the sports arenas and we'll get the sports teams and the athletes to come and talk to our kids because it's still coupling it very closely to like what they know and love but it's Mm -hmm. it's showing them how to again expand their worldview and we're in milwaukee but i'm originally from chicago so we'll bring them to chicago and then um one of our head coaches went to uw madison so we'll take them up there just so that they can kind of you know see it and know that they can be it. and i think um uh, early on there were, someone was speaking about um, just understanding the breadth of career choices that are available and I think mm-hmm. that camp is a very unique space so that they can see people that look just like them making um, you know well-to-do careers in fun spaces you know when you think when right you think about school and they think about what they're gonna they just think like work 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 but they don't really make the connection that work can be fun um we have a connection with the urban ecology center which is like a, a city-based gardening program and so just to see our kids like their eyes light up when they see that they can grow food and make food and cook the food like this is how the food gets to the grocery store just like that mm-hmm. aha moment mm-hmm. where they're fishing and you know just doing things that are very much out of their realm of normalcy but they're getting like experiences that will last with them forever um the ghettoization i think that's the word you use but it's so real because even you know from a colorism perspective you'll have like the middle class families thinking like those kids but at the end of the day we're we have to all be able to get along with all types of people and so um it's just it's 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 interesting um treading this this role as a camp director of a urban camp that 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 commands excellence, and, and yet is fighting on both sides to be respected as what it is. Yes, yes. And I think for me, well, and I'm just gonna, real quick, um, I'm not, a, I, I have a 501c3, but purposeful play is not a 501c3. So we're funded predominantly through like the Department of Children and Family through their child care subsidy program, which allows us to have more consistent control over our revenue, but it also has this sure. huge spotlight of like, um just interrogation and audits and regulations and you know of course we're here for the health well-being and safety of children but we are also committed to these larger experiences for them and like the state doesn't care about that like the state cares like the mom has to be at work and the kid has to experience and if you have a great opportunity for them to broaden their worldview that happens at five but the mom was off work at 4 30 well that kid doesn't get it and you're just like well like what are we really what are we doing yeah you know if you complain about this stuff we have a fix for this stuff and then do you really want it and so for me Mm -hmm. it's very i'm very happy to see other women um of color in this space who have created um programs that are receiving funding that lets me know that my revenue model really needs to be a hybrid of the two to really see my work move forward um but i've always been intimidated about the grant writing funding thing because i always felt like so they could say no tomorrow and then I'd be done. So for me, it was very important to have like a sustainable um, self-gotten, you know, revenue stream as opposed to just relying on funding. But, but this is promising.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, and um, Tiffany, Kelly, you both hit the nail on the head. Um, and I just want to further name it for those who listen to this. What we're talking about dealing with is just the impact of, Dominant culture and white supremacy culture and how it shows up because Black and brown kids have not been able to experience camp and see themselves in camp because it was not created for them. And it was intentionally created as a space for white families and affluent white families to be able to send their kids away to to these oasises um, on private land that they have owned and gotten and, and been passed down through generations that we have not historically had access to because of racism. And so now we're having to do this double work of educating these historically white-led organizations who are now waking up to the fact that they have not been serving and have not served our communities well and now either have a moral imperative or financial reason why they're trying to to focus on this or you know or looking at the social justice movement around them and so now there's there's a tension that they have not been doing it well but then there's on the other side it's educating teaching and bringing along our communities so that we can help repair, reclaim, revitalize the relationships that we have had as Black folks with the land. Because we've Mm -hmm. had one that has been, it has always had a layer of trauma, but it's always had a layer of resilience and power that we are now having to do the double work of, hey, you belong here, you will benefit from this, your child will benefit from this even if you haven't seen yourself represented, it's for, it's been for a reason. And so like that constant need to do that work and that double work is unique to our organizations. And I think very unique to black and brown led um, organizations that isn't the the same um, that I just wanted to bring. Oh yeah, you (laughs) named it.
0: That's for sure. That's for sure. That's a huge challenge and it's, I, I don't see that abating because I think that um, organizations led by white folks in this space, like you said, they're they're waking up. People are waking up to, 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 who do we serve? Why do we serve them? You know, who should we serve more of? You know, all of those things, motives, regardless of motives. But it's going to be, you know, the tides are turning. The conversation is changing. And it's, you know, it's going to behoove people to really... <laughs> Get on board with <clears throat> a wider worldview um, of their business. But really, all that starts at home. Right? Like, mm. You can't have a wider worldview for the business you lead as a white leader, right? In camp space, unless you're really doing that work at home, right? Like, you're able to say to yourself, What is my role in the space? What have I done that has prohibited participation with? families of color, children of color, how do my programs and activities create barriers? You know, all of those things need to be asked and it starts at home.
1: Without without getting offended, without um, with with, with an open heart and mind to really ask those questions to yourself with, even if your answer is, I haven't personally done anything, but I can do something else. I think that a lot of um, even conversations that I've had with other um, white camp professionals has been like, okay, so what's your why? You know what I mean? Like, why is this important to you now? If it's only important because it's the trend, then that's not gonna be good enough for it to sustain. Because when your funders or your, the people who started it 70 years ago and the alumni start to question you, you won't be able to defend it. So you have to understand, it speaks to what you're saying about it starting at home. You have to know your why. And I found Mm -hmm. lots of people are very shaky on their why. It might just be like, you know, it's very extrinsic extrinsic where it's the right thing to do well we do recognize that there is a gap well but if it you know it's like if your family didn't have you know you have a daughter who happens to marry a black man or you don't have biracial grandchildren or if you like if it doesn't like hit home for you in terms of a very I can touch and feel it sort of way well my family has become more brown and so that's why I care then you really have to dig deep into your core values to to establish a why that you can stand on even when challenged Because what I see a lot is like people saying like, yes, we want to do this work. And then they're like, oh, well, well, I don't agree. And my funder doesn't agree. So they're going to snatch this $20,000 and then or $200,000. And instead of being able to say, well, our core values at camp are this, and we feel like this for all people, not just for the people who are currently here or who were previously here. So we're going to get creative and we're going to find a way to replace those dollars. Because if you don't support this work, then we don't want your money anyway. It's a very bold right. decision to take, you know what I mean? And as an accountant, I totally understand, like, oh, Lord, I budget just hit, <laughs> took what hit? But at the same point in time, that's why it has to be founded and rooted and grounded in your why. And mm-hmm. and asking yourself, your family, your peers, your, you know, people who have come before you, those very difficult questions, and being able to answer them very honestly is key to to anything sustainable happening. Hmm. I think
3: yeah. just- it's not just... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kelly. Uh, I was just going to say, I think you just wrapped that wrapped that up in a bow and handed it off. You know, like that was brilliant because what I'm afraid will happen from um, from what I'm reading on these camp Facebook groups and these, um, you know, like all the, the camp pro things that I'm attending is this idea that, yeah, it's a trend. Yeah, it's the right thing to do but it doesn't have any intentionality behind it other than, you know, it's going to look great. You know, it's going to look great on our, uh, not prospectus, but on on our flyers or whatever. Right. And so we had a conversation with someone a few weeks ago where, you know, well, what can we do? What, what do you suggest that we do? And my answer was, you should go back to your uh, stakeholders and make sure that they're down. Right. Like, don't bring our children into a space where they, you know, your stakeholders' kids are going to be coming for my kids. You know, let you have to, like you said, you're going to have to change the the entire culture and be able to defend it, right? When you see something, you you have to be okay with uh, standing up to, you know, little Lord Fondleroy and saying, you know, like, you know. That is not how we talk little lord fauntleroy you know that <laughs> this child deserves right, to be here just right, like you you right. know like you can't you can't sit there and sit here and bust in our kids and then put them in a situation where they're going to be uh segregated and and left out of things because they look like the scholarship kids right you or, have to or hostile sure.
0: even hostile right exactly you know exactly. and i would take that a step further kelly and even say not only do you want to be able to speak to little Lord Fauntleroy and say, this is how your behavior needs to change in this context at our camp, but you need to speak to his parents. And you need to be able to say with, with, you know, without fear, without all, all the things that come up for us. I think when we were talking to white people and trying to check behavior. It's like, Hey, you know, so-and-so your child really, you know, exhibit this, that, and the other thing, and we, we, that's not tolerated here, right? Because that's the conversation
3: that we have to have in our community. I'm sorry. Yeah, (laughs) Um, Yeah, go ahead. Those are the conversations that we have to have in our community when we see tension between Black and brown kids. We have to let them know, you know, like, we're all at camp. We're all equal here. You know, there's no, you know, we're not talking like that. We're not going to, name these, you know, name each other like this. We are all here together to to have fun and, and learn and uh, experience the cross-cultural benefit of camp. But, you know, again, my impression from these more well-established, wider camps is that those conversations aren't happening. An example is um, a, a couple of months ago, I got two or three emails from somebody asking, if we were the kind of camp that it, that uh, allows counselors to accept tips, and my first reaction was to laugh, I was like, <laughs> "Who's tipping? Who's tipping counselors? Like, you know, who's valeting yeah. their children? You sending your kids right. to the valet? You know, like, yeah. I don't understand." And uh, I put the question out to the Facebook group, and the Facebook group came back with. That's absolutely camp culture. Like, you know, you, uh, camp co- counselors get paid so little. Of course, you're going to treat another kid, you know, treat a child better if their parents are going to tip them. Like, this is just <laughs> part of who they what? are. Right. Exactly. You know, like camp counselors, it's a great way to make an extra, you know, $1,000 or whatever, Like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so you are paying for your child to be put on this pedestal. I don't think that, that integrating or having a um, a process where you're bringing black and brown children of any class, you know, social economic status into that situation is going to be beneficial to anyone. Right,
2: mm-hmm. right. And I think it's, it goes to further show that the why, bringing it back to the why, because clearly there is organizational transformation at an institutional level that has to change. Because if that was the the wide response versus let's figure out how to build pay equity into these positions. Yes. Clearly there's some unequal power and problems with that. It's like, how are we okay with that? And I think the answer is not tips. The answer is equitable
1: pay. And And you know, and treat so, because there should not be a distinction between how you treat a kid based on if their mom pays more. Because, I mean, personally, you know, we all have human nature, but if, if, a, if a kid is not nice, it doesn't matter how much your mom pays me to deal with you not being nice. I still have to deal with the fact that you're not nice. So even yeah. the people who would take that, you know what I mean? Like, and I have to do the deep work of, you know, maintaining myself as a professional and helping you build your character to be a nicer a child, and I'm going to do that for the kid who, who, whichever kid needs it, right? And that, like, yeah. the kid mom paid me more. And plus, like, I don't know about you guys, but, like, my kids' parents are not tipping. <laughs> you know, right. like, the you
3: oh, like, this, like, the idea is laughable.
1: <laughs> now, we have, yeah. I have had parents who have given... Have who have given counselors like a gift at the end of the summer if their kid found like formed like a special bond with them or if you know they knew that those counselors were going back to college or something like that, but just yeah I don't I it's foreign I don't I don't even understand I,
0: don't, I, don't even understand. I want to go back to this concept about the systemic place of camp like this is an interesting conversation like what you know is the system set up against black and brown kids and when I say against I I probably. Or is it set up? How is it set up? Because, you know, just as a little side story, um, Children's Fairyland is a storybook theme park. So we have eight acres. um, I know you know, Kelly. Uh, And we have these um, um, myths, legends, fairy tales embedded into individual installations at the at the at, oh, across that eight acres with storybook boxes. So you stick in a special key and the story is read aloud to you. Mother Goose story, or, you know, um, I'm trying to think of another one, Anansi the Spider. So there's, you know, there's a ton of stories like that. <laughs> Most of the stories are Northern European in nature, right? So this is one of the charges I have coming in as a leader is saying, how can we make sure that the stories represented in the park are represented a vocal in it? Right, of, of the children of Oakland. Um, and how do we make sure that people in Oakland feel welcome there? I mean, this problem is a system problem since <laughs> it was set up. And I, I was in conversation with a librarian, an Oakland public librarian who was explaining to me, I asked her, I said, What the devil, what's, what's the origin story of a fairy tale? Like, Like, tell me what that means, right? And basically, she just told me, in short, it's the Dewey Decimal System was set up as a racist system to begin with. The Dewey Decimal System, which is the gatekeeper for knowledge and information, right? (laughs) Public knowledge and information set up fairy tales, basically sourced from Northern European places as fairy tales. Everything else as religion. Or something other, right? So you can see, like these things take this different road. And I, I, I take that story to say, what, what about, what is it about camp? What is the system set up that has created some of these spaces that Kelly has begun to talk about, where inequity would just occur like that? I think that's an interesting conversation. Well, I think just like
1: the the pure access right like just who had access and and another thing another reason that we are set up to use the state's child care subsidy to fund our children is because we were looking to eliminate the pay-to-play culture that exists in in like AAU sports so you'd have these middle class Mm -hmm,
0: mm
1: pay $900 for six weeks and have their kids go here and there we were just like oh no you don't get to just like leave kids out and just like oh your dream doesn't count because you can't (laughs) afford it and so I think that's kind of what camp historically was. Like, I mean, even if you look at a ton of private camps that don't have scholarship capability, like they're a mortgage. You know, I have three children. I couldn't even personally afford my own camp, you know, if if, if I were, you know, not to have it subsidized um, in some sort of way. And so I think that that speaks to the system. It prices you out, right? So certain kids just can't afford to go. And then when you think of away camps, and this is not just from a um, child participant perspective but also from a um, staff or you know counselor perspective you know they're far and away and when you go to them you go down dirt roads across cornfields with lots of big trees across water and when you think of that from a lens of a black or brown person we were um, thrown into bodies of water to kill us and we were hung from trees and so i don't really want to go there you know what i mean and at the point where they say like oh but you know these are the lessons that you learn in camp and you know it's great for all college students to take you know a job as a counselor because this you know it's a real job like that real job thing that we that um ACA put out and it is a real job and everything that they're saying that people can learn there is very very true but if you take black um Teens or young adults who've never had the camp experience, then all you do is take them to a completely white space where they are on the outside, and you don't make that space anymore culturally culturally relevant to them in terms of music, in terms of atmosphere, in terms of, you know, peer mentors or, you know, directors. Then basically you're just saying, hey, I'm white. But trust me, as I take you through this long street with cornfields and big trees and bodies of water where it, you could be walking into the movie Get Out or you could be getting a very great experience as a camp leader that will last you for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? And so we're just like, there has to be some sort of black leadership or you know minority leadership that is there to help set the culture of this is what happens here. and And to really like straight up in our terminology like address we know you might feel like you getting taken to get out this is not get out and this is why here are examples of other people who have thrived in the space or there have not been examples of other people who might thrive in the space you are here to set that bar this is not about tokenism if you have other people who you feel might be great for this role to bring along you know like maybe there are pioneers right you know of pioneers i don't know but just to say like oh okay we're gonna open it up to you guys now we're still gonna be skeptical like but we're not going with you you know i don't know you what are you trying to do to me
2: yeah
0: a network of support a network of support that's right absolutely <laughs> and, and, oh i'm sorry Sabrina, please. please. Oh, that's
2: I was just going to say, and I just like, let's, we're going to give some advice to the white led um, camps out there. Stop trying to recruit children of color until you are ready to properly support them. Just stop. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to help them and it's not going to help you. You're going to dig yourself into more holes. Don't do it. And I think Working on all those other things, Tiffany, that you touched on, that's the pieces that matter. Camp culture is inherently and extremely white. I grew up in it. I grew up going, and I still feel uncomfortable. And I have to be a cultural translator for my kids and for myself to check myself that this is Actually happening from the songs to the camps to the food to the experience to show up There are so many things that are ingrained in camp culture that are so intrinsically white that it has been normalized without calling out attention that that is one way of creating experience and so I think Until camps get real about saying like why do we do this this way? Do we have to let's change it and then bringing in community members to actually say what's gonna be comfortable for them and what yeah. do they need to change it to? Because if you don't have black and brown folks who are helping you create a menu, helping you look at sleeping arrangements, helping you look at the cleanliness of the bathrooms, because there are so many nuances to how we live, mm-hmm. show up and be, mm-hmm. um, what products you have in your camp store for black girls' hair, like it's just mm-hmm. it's a whole list of things that unless camps have done that stuff, they should not be trying to diversify. Um, and I, I think, too, we, we need to acknowledge and start to repair the harm, and not we as in the four of us, but um, repair the harm done to co-opting Indigenous knowledge that is being shared through these different camp workshops and programs. Like, if you're teaching... Uh, bow and arrows and how to do archery and all this stuff and not doing land acknowledgements, not acknowledging whose land you're on, that it was stolen from indigenous people and who those people are and that they're still there then you're not doing work. You're perpetuating the racism and the problems. And so I'm that's not going right, to any right. more than that because all of this knowledge that we're dropping, people need to be paying us for this. Yeah. <laughs> no. And, and we're ready to be hired. So if you want to learn how to do it and how to do it well and to prepare your camp for this next century and what it looks like as our world. We're, we're here for you.
0: We're, we're here, here for you. We're
2: here for you. <laughs> Come <laughs> pay us. And we will help you transform your space or at least help you be honest and realistic about where you are. But um, the last thing I, I wanna say is the whole notion of scholarships for camp is inherently colonized and flawed. Like there, yeah. it should, not, there should not be a scholarship program at all. There needs to be a sliding scale where people can pay according to what they afford. Mm -hmm. So if my family is living on a low income and all I have is $10 and that's how much I can pay for a week of camp, we should accept that $10 just like we accept the $1,000 from the well-off family who didn't even think twice about it. And that's how it should be. And we should not ask for documentation. We shouldn't ask family to send thank you letters. We shouldn't have to take pictures and do any of that. It should be equitable
0: from the start. That's right. This whole notion of of um, aid and families having to come in and basically strip down to the skiddies to show you all my stuff, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that I can get on board with whatever program is ridiculous. We're making that change at Fairyland. It's like sliding scale. Yeah. We're just going to trust and yes. we're going to provide for it in a different yeah. way. Right. Yeah, we're we're going to provide for you in a different way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: and respect what people have, and know that they're, if, if a family is coming from a low-income family and is entrusting you and willing to send their kid to camp, you should let them come for free without even asking. <laughs> like, yeah. Just let them come. Right,
3: right, right. I right. was just, I mean, that was a word, all of that. All I'm saying is, I was gonna quote, after the Tiffany talked, <laughs> I was gonna quote Bernie Mac and say, pay me, you know, like, that's, not pay me, Kelly. I mean, although you should, but pay me. Meaning, bring in staff that looks like the community that you're trying to to um, recruit. You know what I mean? Like, don't sit here and expect somebody to come an intern or be a be a counselor in training, and you know, maybe right. pull a little stuff for free. Yeah, exactly. Hire folks that look like the communities you want to serve, and then those are your ambassadors. Also, in terms of, um, you know, having this, like, kid experience, like, like both uh, Sprenna and um, Tiffany mentioned, we, the way that we were able to go from 10 kids camping a year to 50, like, uh, kids and their parents coming is that we invited the parents we changed the schedule so that the parents could come with so that they saw what the kids were going to be eating how we ran the the that's right you know family
0: inclusive
3: exactly exactly and not just one one day you know we had it's a three-day two-night camping trip come for all three days come for two days come until you don't want to you know be here anymore or come to the second one you know in a non-covid year we did too so and that way, we're building in time with family, time with uh, their friends. We're building out this whole um, new experience for families who just might be nervous. We have grandmas coming that are like, "I would never do this for anybody else," you know. Like grandmas that come and they love it, and the the uh, food is good, and it's something it's stuff that they recognize. And the last thing I wanted to say uh, to your point, I think Tiffany was the um, no. I think it was anyway. I forget sorry uh the camp songs the camp songs again looking on these like you know uh, camp uh, camp professional facebook pages and like finish the song you know games that they play on there you know and folks know these camp songs and i'm like i don't know none of that i don't know mm-hmm. the next line i don't know the next word i don't know none of that what we do is the kids build out camp around rap songs right so we have right like, right we got, right we got, you know, um what I, i'll think of the one that makes parents nervous when we started but like, there's one where the parents are like um uh, you know, and then it swerves to camp. <laughs> okay i'm gonna think about it yeah. somebody else talk <laughs>
1: so we also turn our camp songs we make them from rap songs and and that's one of the things that you can do that easily and and rap is so universal right now that literally Mm -hmm. it's not going to alienate your culture it's a way to make black and brown children feel involved it's something that they know like nobody even if the white um allies listening when you think about how you feel when you walk into a meeting and there's all black people and you're the only white person that is exactly how kids and our staff feel when we walk in and we're the only one um and so i think if you just think from that lens and i wanted to just follow up on what sprenna said about um you know like don't diversify because i didn't want people listening to take that as like a way out well i'm not ready so she said don't diversify so then i'm just not going to do it so i would like to say to that point what she's saying is like get ready like you know like be do the work so that you can do it and do And if you are struggling on how to make that happen, then we are available to help. Um, For free, no, we're available to help. You know what I mean? To consult on whatever basis so that you can do it and do it well. The other thing I would say to encourage, you know, people who are really listening with intentionality and really want to make a change is there's no better industry in my mind as the entire world looks to make these changes than camp. You already know it. You already do it. Camp is already, the the curriculum of camp is social emotional education. So this is not something that's new to you. It is new to expanding it to everyone. It is new to just not doing it only in your silos for those people that you know, or the people that you feel like deserve it, or the kids whose parents tip. It is to do it for, you know, universally. It is to really embody and live out those things that you say camp does it is to give the magic of camp to all you already know how to do it I don't even understand why there's I understand that it's just historical and systematic and blah 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 but it makes my stomach drop almost like I'm on a roller coaster to think that it is such a heavy lift to just do it for more people like they're black and brown but okay just do the same thing you're doing For everyone. And if it freaks anybody out, it's like, this is who we said we were. There's no camp that I see that says we believe in white supremacy and we believe in, you know, we're elitist and we believe we're better than the other. Because even within your white camp population, you have kids who think they're better than others. You have kids who say not nice words. You have kids who need to dump the disting. You have kids who need to grow social and emotionally. You are already battling this, you are already solving this. Mm-hmm. Just solve mm-hmm. it universally. It's, yeah. We can do it better than corporate. We can do it better than Amazon. We can do it better than Netflix. We can do it. We just gotta do it.
0: Well, I agree. And I think that because it's camp and because it's youth development at its core, right? Right. And it's in in this camp space outside nature. Um That at its core is really great for youth development, um, exploration, and epiphany and change. Um, I think I think it's I think changing systems and recognizing that systems need changing is tough. And I think that for 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 white leaders, they I think that they need help (laughs) to identify, you know, because and this will be the last thing I say on this, you know, changing. And to invite new staff in, staff of color, kids of color to coming to camp, all that changing that system is, um, starts at the very granular level. What are your materials for hiring? What are your materials for curriculum development? What are your, who is doing that development? <laughs> right? Where's your money coming from? Who, how is your board steering forward motion? You know, all of those things matter when you talk mm-hmm. about equity. Every single motion. So it's like, okay, yeah. working at the top and working at the bottom of that of your organization, and really working with equity all the way through is it's it's a lot. It is a heavy lift, mm-hmm. but it can be done, right? And like I, Tiffany, what you're I, what you're saying is right. Camp is a great tableau for that to happen on. Uh, Before the time gets away from us. I really want to talk about philanthropy a little bit, <laughs> like the landscape of philanthropy for um, not just for camp or, but for folks of color to be working in that space and to be applying for those funds and to be competitive around that and what your experiences are and what advice you might be given to some, some, some of the other folks of color out there who are looking to do this work. I think
3: that what Tiffany said earlier about diversifying where funds come from is really important because you're right, you know, like for some of us that are 100% grant funded, it's real sketchy and it's real scary because, you know, we don't have any control over what the funders see as important at any given point in time. Right. So making sure that there are state and uh, local Uh, grants that you go for, you know, like those um, after school, out of school time, active play, you know, kind of uh, funds is really important, as you said, um, to make sure that there's like a baseline that there's, you know, that some funds will always be coming. And then also to the idea of having a um, sliding scale. So what we noticed was when we started camp at, it's free camp, you know, people would drop in or not drop in, they might show up one day, they didn't show up another, you know, for another week or whatever. Um, Then we moved it to $25 a week, you know, it was like a little bit better. And finally we hit on like a $100 a week and then folks felt like they had invested enough to bring their kids every day. Um, but no child has ever turned away for lack of funds, right? That's not what we do, we never say, your, you know, your family didn't contribute anything, so you don't get to come, you know, like, that's not who we are as a, as an organization or as a camp. So just ensuring that like folks understand what the purpose of your camp is, you know, like the purpose of our camp is to make sure that we're empowering folks, right? That we're empowering these young people to grow up and see themselves in a world that's bigger than just, you know, the, mm, the container that society has put them in, right? And so when, so that's a third way that income comes in. And then of course, sponsorships um, from corporate places. That's my advice. And the song is From the Windows to the Wall, just FYI. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> that's a good one, once adapted. <laughs> yeah, um, I was just gonna say that, um, uh, Tiffany, you you mentioned earlier that the grant world can be can be scary and daunting, and I think um, it's very true. you know I didn't I didn't share much about my background, but um, I started in fundraising in the nonprofit field and development, and I think that really helped us to know how to navigate philanthropy to know how to navigate those relationships with foundations and Mm -hmm. um to access those funds and so we are um we've been diversifying so you know our camps have fees um for the programs and then we're also looking at some earned income streams so that we can increase our financial independence from um from foundations and you know we we have um individual donors who support, uh, who you know, are philanthropists who support our programs too. But one thing I wanna say for any um, funders out there um, who are listening, um, I think it's very important that uh, we start to look at the relationship that foundations, corporate foundations or private foundations have with nonprofits and start to shift that power. Um, so that nonprofits are not always in a constant place of having to ask for money and validate what we're doing and explain what we're doing so we can just do the work. And I'm starting to see in Oregon, you know, there is is definitely a a conscious, intentional um, shift that's starting to happen within philanthropy to bring that power back to the nonprofits and to the organization so that we can come together and say, hey, this is what we need in order to be able to do this work. Um, But I think when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI, that's very big and uh, very fundable right now. Um, Fund the organizations that are inherently doing the work and doing it well with outcomes. Mm -hmm. Stop Mm -hmm. funding groups that want to diversify and that are not doing it because giving them money to change versus giving organizations money to grow that are already supporting their communities well that's where we need to redirect resources and Mm -hmm. if we want to empower marginalized communities black brown indigenous communities give the money to them so that they can serve their own communities and own people um, in a way that they know what they know like we know what works we know what our kids need we know what our families need we just need the resources to do the work and not always have to work hand to mouth and asking for the money um and um just building authentic relationships. Like foundations uh, should, what am I trying to say? I I just think that there needs to be more authenticity in relationships where we're not always having to show up and do the song and dance to get money. Perform, um, it's performance. To get money and grow impact and focus on programs. We need to invest money into operations. You know, I'm sure all of our organizations need some capacity building funds. That should just be a given um you know and so that's yeah that's what i'm
0: saying instead of tail wagging the dog all the time where you're Mm -hmm. chasing money that uh, changes your mission right it changes what you're trying to achieve because you really need these dollars to Mm -hmm. you know get your organization to the next level
2: because philanthropy decided that this year this is going to be their focus in three years from now it's going to be their focus and all the
0: nonprofits are shifting to follow the money and as if the philanthropy gets to decide what's the best What's the best thing in youth development, right? Instead mm-hmm. of asking the mm-hmm. people who are doing the work to say, What are you finding? What should we be focusing on as mm-hmm. funders, as philanthropy? What should we be funding you for? Yes. Um, you know, I, I find that a rarer occurrence. Get
2: independence. Like mm-hmm. any money that comes in from grants should help nonprofits work towards their own independence um, so that they're not coming back 30 years from now working on the same mission, doing the same thing. Like if, like the goal should be for us to not exist because we achieve our mission. So we need the funds and the resources to be able to do it well and to fund impactful work, not just programs.
0: Yeah, not just reach. Yeah. Um, Great, I wanted to sort of, just mindful of the time here, I wanted to go around and talk about any last minute advice for um, um, black or brown folks of color who lead organizations and camp that we'd like to give one last little piece of advice short. And then what can we, what can folks do to support your organizations um, who are watching, who are listening to our podcast today, people could support. So I will start with Tiffany.
1: Um, So I think that, black and brown people who are doing the work my one piece of advice would just be to keep doing the work you know to not be discouraged and honestly to um i think that our um platforms show that like mine is sports based then there's farming and then there's there's this stem um stem component so just know that your thing can be turned into camp you know what i mean like your thing can help kids develop um, I've seen photography camps, I've seen art camps. It doesn't just have to be like the traditional camp. So just learning to look outside of that, that box and know that your thing can be a camp. Um, in terms of supporting purposeful play, I'm very open to any resources in terms of um, funding. Grant writing has been something very intimidating to me, especially because we have a sports lens. People always look like, oh, those Black people just want to play sports again. Like, no, we use sports because it's the shiny object to draw them in and to be able to teach and develop character. Um, and, you know, it's something that they know, and I don't think that it should be shame. So, you know, I, um, support in that realm would be great for us.
0: Great. And how, how can... Okay, great. And, uh, who's next? Who wants to go next? How about Kelly? Um, I think again, like
3: Tiffany used all my words, but (laughs) I think that, um, you know, believe in, believe in your mission, believe in your why, believe in, um, the reason you get up in the morning is to further the mission of empowering children. You know, like that's, it's so important to to keep that first and foremost, especially when you then go into a predominantly white space and you're like, I don't even know why I came to this thing. You know what I mean? I don't know why I'm even here, you know, to remember your why and to remember that ultimately you're trying to um, improve and uh, expose the lives of children, you know, living in your communities. Um, And in terms of, uh, supporting Actinon Um I think, yeah, donations are always super welcome um, with folks in our community uh, losing their jobs and being laid off and, you know, having to be mm-hmm. at home with their children. We are definitely really being responsive and moving a lot of our programming online and what programming we have in person. We're trying to be very, very intentional about uh PPE and social distancing. So any donations um, or grants would help.
0: Thanks so much. For sure. Thanks for this opportunity. Yeah. Sprinabasa, are you there?
2: I am. Okay. Um so um my last bit of advice for um white allies and and folks who would like to become or be on that journey to become an ally. a few things. built in accountability to the communities that you want to serve. If you know you want to work more with Black, with Brown communities, um, just with any community, there should be some type of feedback process um, so that you're accountable to the communities you serve and, and the decision makers, like the, the decision makers are accountable. Um, invest in culture matching so beyond just hiring interns make sure that there's good alignment with organizations that you wish to partner with with people that you wish to bring in and that um, you're creating opportunities to listen to them to elevate them you know if you're a white-led organization and you want to work with a community group or organization that is black or brown-led elevate them, listen to what their needs are and leverage your resources so that they can build and grow, empower them. That's the the time period we're living in now is focusing on elevating and empowering visibility of black leaders. And I think that institutions can do that by sharing resources. Um, So a quick way for any allies who want to support ELSO, um, we'll send you a letter of support. Send it to your donors, send it to your community, send it to your funders and say, hey, there's this group that we know about that's doing this work well. Um, send it and, and just elevate us by spreading the word that we're out here um, and we're doing this work and that we just need more resources so that we can continue to, to fulfill our mission. Um, and to all of the Black, Indigenous, Brown folks who are working in uh, nonprofits and camp industry, um, continue to find your voice, make your seat at the table, build power within yourself, within your own community. Um, we have always had to move the table aside and make a new one. Like as people, we have always had to create space for ourselves and elevate and validate our own voice and wait for the rest of the world to figure it out. So don't wait for the world to to validate who you are and um, your work and what you're doing. Do it yourself, continue to partner and build coalitions with other groups. And remember there is enough resources, uh, enough resources out there for all of us. And so if we continue to look inwards to our own communities, build coalitions with other black and brown folks, I think that's where our students and our community will benefit the most. Um, So yeah, so supporting Elso, we have a website you can give, we're always looking for resources we have a whole list of things that we're looking for right now
0: excellent thank you for saying that and i think um i will say that especially to black and brown folks um who are in camp or in a, like um you said in nonprofit work the time is now making your headway is now right i mean there's a big sea change and we want it to 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 keep moving and so i want all of us to keep moving forward um and making these decisions about especially youth development about bringing youth up um through really well-led organizations um and seeing representation all around them and it's going to take pulling people into our organizations to do that um it's going to take you out there in podcast land listening to us you know knocking on the right doors and 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 asking for help and and looking for mentorship and and we're going to be there for you really one hundred percent. So, um, onward, as they say. Um, I think that's it. I'm going to wrap it up by um, saying thank you for joining Campwire Podcast from from the American Camp Association, and we hope to see you at the next episode.